The following audio is from a sermon series on the book of Proverbs. For more information about Sacred City Church, please visit scmoline.com. Hear the word of the Lord from Proverbs chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, 22 and 32 and 33. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. To know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight, to receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. Let the wise hear and increase in learning, and the one who understands obtain guidance, to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing, and fools hate knowledge? For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This is the word of the Lord. Well, thank you, Sam, for that introduction. Thank you, Carrie, for the reading of the word. Uh, first and foremost, happy Father's Day. I wanted to give a uh, special shout out to um, white New Balance sneakers and cargo shorts without them today uh, just wouldn't be quite as special as it is. Um, so uh, like Sam said, my name is Ash Simpson. I've been coming to Sacred City Church here for about four years now. Uh, a couple things to get out of the way right off the bat. Um, I know we're in the Midwest and we like to sit all quiet and comfy in our little space, uh, but I'm originally from the South and I'm up here today, so when I talk at you, I expect y'all to be talking back, all right? Is that clear? All right, good. Also, I am a weatherman by trade, and yes, I do love having a job. I can get wrong 90% of the time and still get to keep it. So now that that's out of the way, I think we can move on. So uh, I was born and raised in a Christian home in rural North Carolina. Uh, the, the type of church I was raised in was a, a very works-based and legalistic faith. If we can uh, hopefully get that figured out. Uh, and then... Uh, really, the type of mode um, that I grew up in was this mindset of if I did the right things, if, if I was doing the right things, if I was wise enough, making smart choices, I was going to get into heaven. That's what it took, was, was pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. Well, it really wasn't until that I was in college that I came to faith in Christ. You see, I had spent a lot of my middle school and high school years kind of in hidden rebellion. So it was things going on behind closed doors. It was sin in my own heart, and, and it, was, uh, it was things that I was dealing with that, that people didn't know about. But then once I got to college and I was on my own, well, whoop-de-doo, it was completely open rebellion from that point on out. So it was, it was partying all the time. It was dealing with a lot of self-worth issues continuing, but those came to light a lot more, whether it was trying to find self-worth in friends, trying to find self-worth in girlfriends or in partying, whatever it might be. That's what, that's what I was trying to do. But it wasn't until I was confronted with the realness of the gospel in a small little burger joint in Santa Cruz, California, that my life changed. That, that summer changed my life Forever, You see, uh, I was confronted with the gospel, and from that point on out, for the last three years of my college career, I really wrestled through discipleship. I ended up graduating with 
and open availability to go anywhere. And at first I thought, well, that was going to be the south where I'm from, but uh, God brought me to this uh, Arctic tundra slash gnat infested land instead. But anyways, after almost four years, a new amazing church family and engagement, uh, I really know that it was not by accident that God brought me here. And so I just appreciate you guys Let me be here and preach today. So Sam told us about the sermon series that we're starting here in Proverbs, and uh, today I'm preaching on what is wisdom and why do we need it. That's right. Sam looked through all the sermons that we preach here at Sacred City Church, and he decided to pick a freckly-faced 25-year-old to preach on wisdom. I mean, we just got done with the church for the city. I've lived in cities for most of my life. I think I could have done that one pretty well. Uh, I was literally just as shocked as you guys. I mean, Trust me, I do have plenty of gray hair. You just can't see it because of the product I use. It makes it glossy enough, so it hides it. So what makes me qualified to stand up here? You, you see, God's word is the ultimate authority. And that's exactly where this whole message is going to come from today. You see, God has used people throughout history that you wouldn't expect that proves his power and his power alone, not our own. That also includes Solomon. So let us pray really quickly. God, I, I ask today, Lord, that, that you would be opening our hearts and opening our minds to see what you want us to see in the Proverbs. I pray that you're using me as nothing more than a vessel, Lord, to convey the, the truths of the gospel and how wisdom will lead us all to a life of flourishing. We ask, God, that you're moving here among us, that you're doing a good work in our hearts through your power alone. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, like I just said, the author of the book of Proverbs was Solomon. Uh, Sam gave us that good introduction. Some of these works uh, Solomon did by himself. Some of these works Solomon just collected and he put in a book because all of this was meant for the purpose of helping his son learn how to navigate a confusing world. You see, Solomon was regarded as the second wisest man to ever walk the earth. He was uh, a very, very wise man, short only to Jesus Christ. You see, the world back then that he was trying to help his son navigate through was just as confusing as the world that we're trying to navigate now. So when we leave here today, this is what I want you to remember. You see, wisdom is the highway to becoming the right kind of fool. We're going to see what is wisdom, why do we need it, and what it's all for. So in life, we are constantly being asked to make decisions. Who will I marry? What school do I choose? What career do I pick? Should I transfer jobs? How do I know where I need to settle down? Where should I invest my money? Which insurance company is going to give me the best coverage for me and my family? How can I make sure my kids are going to be okay if I pass away? You see, the weight of these choices, they can often overwhelm us. It causes us anxiety even after we've already made the choice. This often comes into play in my life. I don't know about you, but right about the time I'm about to go to bed. So I can go about my day, I'm going about it, I'm busying myself with a lot of things, I can find pretty much anything and everything to keep my mind off of the big decision. I've really become a professional at this. If you need to know if I'm stressed about some big decision, come see how clean my house is. Yeah, or you can come see how many devices I'm using at one time. I kid you not, I'll sit there, I'll put Netflix on the TV, and then I'll scroll through my phone about three or four different social media apps and some mindless game that I've downloaded all at the same time. Well, the house is clean, the yard is mowed, I've organized my DVDs alphabetically by genre. Yes, I've done that before. Get to the end of the day, and there it is, my bed. Well, I lay down, I close my eyes, and 
bam, there it is. The decision has not gone away. I've realized that that decision is not going to make itself. You see, I can't tell you how many nights I've stared at the ceiling fan, just watching it go around and around. I could probably close my eyes and tell you exactly where I have blemishes on my ceiling, where there's little spots in every single place. Because the weight of all these decisions that life throws in our direction, it's almost crushing. What if I'm wrong? How do I decide? How many times have we said to ourselves, I just want to make the wise choice? You see, that, that's the thing is that we want to be wise. Like Sam said, people often want to be wise. It's, it's a noble thing to be wise. I don't think that uh, very often we wake up in the morning and tell ourselves, I'm going to be a fool today. <laughs> I mean, okay, honestly, once or twice some of us might have, but 99% of the time, that's not the case. We want to be wise. The desire to pursue wisdom is something that is implanted in us by God's design. We are creatures that were created and hardwired for wisdom. But you see, the problem is where we're trying to look for wisdom. 1 Corinthians 27 tells us that God took what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. Hold on. He took what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. That's not a biblical typo, guys, but what, what Paul is referring to here in 1 Corinthians is the difference between wisdom that comes from above and wisdom that comes from the earth. So what is wisdom that comes from the earth? You see, earthly wisdom on the outside doesn't always appear to be a bad thing. You need to work as much as you can so you can get ahead. Protect yourself. Don't get too close to anybody because chances are you might get hurt. You know what? Just follow your heart. Do what your heart is telling you to do. If it feels good, it must be right. Don't stick your finger in a light socket. Okay, that last one's actually pretty good advice, but... The point still stands. And I don't know about you guys, but I can't tell you how many times my heart has gotten me into some pretty sticky, sticky situations. And my feelings, they've only done worse. You see, I've made foolish mistakes time and time again because I thought that what I was doing was the right thing. It's like the ticker inside of me that tells me to avoid danger or avoid making the foolish mistakes is broken. You see, I can tell you exactly when I'm getting too close to the ledge of a building. I am terrified of heights. Instantly, I'll get nauseous. That ticker, that works just fine. You see, but whenever it comes to the, the weight of my choices and making the right or wrong decision, radio silence. You see, at the end of the day, as well-intended as these earthly wisdoms might be, it's always going to fall flat. You know, you, you could be really good with money. You could be extremely wise when it comes to business. But where do your relationships stand? You know, how much, how much time have you left to build up those people around you? What about common sense? I mean, you could make practically good choices at every turn. But if all you're doing is trying to survive, you're wasting your life. You see, smart decisions and common sense, they're never going to live up to the test of true wisdom. Something, something always gets left behind. So, that begs the question then. If that's not wisdom, then what is? 
Well, Solomon here in the Proverbs, starting in chapter one, he's gonna tell us that wisdom is the sum of four things, knowledge, insight, prudence, and instruction. So knowledge, I mean, we hear a lot about knowledge throughout the Bible. You see, knowledge, knowledge and wisdom are cousins. You know, they're related, but they're not exactly the same thing. Verse seven says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So what this is talking about here, the fear of the Lord, this isn't fear like a horror movie. You know, we're not waiting on God to pop out and say boo, but this is fear in the sense of reverence, fervent respect for something. I recently got the chance to go to the Paul McCartney concert, and let me tell you, it was amazing. But the the atmosphere of the Tax Slayer Center before and after Paul McCartney was on stage, it was different. There was an aura about this man that demanded respect because of his musical career. So if Paul McCartney demands that much respect, how much more does God Almighty? You see, when we have that fervent respect for God, we're going to crave knowledge. You see, we want to study scripture. We want to know what God is like. And we want to write that on our heart. We want to know who he is. It's, it's kind of like learning from a textbook. You see, the, the Bible is chock full of knowledge. The, the knowledge of the way that God has designed the world and how we're supposed to live in it. You know, if you're wondering what God has to say about something, chances are you'll find it somewhere in here. But wisdom, wisdom comes when we take that knowledge, we apply it, and we turn it into experience that goes much more deep than knowledge ever could. It's like learning from a textbook versus being in the real world. You know, a doctorate student could sit there in class, and they could learn exactly what they need to do to to mend uh, an artery that's been shattered but it's gonna be a lot different than sitting in the trauma unit unit and staring down someone in the face who's just been shot by a gun. It's gonna be a, a lot different than, than staring at someone who has just been hurt in some way and has minutes before they bleed out. You know, I learned a lot about storm science in college. I learned a lot about the way weather works, how tornadoes form, how hurricanes form. But I can tell you, It's a lot different seeing it in a textbook than it is being in the middle of a tropical storm standing out on a pier in Myrtle Beach. You know, once we get that experience, we fully understand that situation a lot more than when we just learn about it through knowledge. And in order for us to to have wisdom, you see, knowledge is the training wheels that let us understand how God has designed the world. And wisdom is the ratchet that takes them off when we experience that world fully. You know, in order for us to have wisdom, we also have to have insight into this situation. Verse 2 says, to know wisdom and instruction, to understand words of insight. Insight is the ability to see things the way that most don't see them, to see the inner workings of a situation and how they relate to God's grand design for the world. You know, in my humble opinion, I think one of the greatest TV shows ever is the BBC Benedict Cumberbatch adaptation of Sherlock. If you guys haven't seen it, it is phenomenal. You know, these, these books, the Sherlock Holmes books, were written by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle at the turn of the century, not this century, the 19th and 20th century. So it was the late 1800s and the early 1900s. These books are old, but they have been constantly adapted throughout time. There have been more than 50 TV adaptations alone. Well, you factor in radio, plays, movies, That number goes well into the 100s. So why are we so fascinated by this character of Sherlock Holmes? 
Well, well, I think that we can't get enough of him because this character does something that's so uncharacteristic of most of us. You see, you can have every detective from here to, to Nottingham go onto a crime scene and look at it, but as soon as Sherlock steps on the scene, he's going to see 20 or 30 things that the other guys missed. Sherlock has the ability to take a situation that kind of seems like it's black and white, and he notices all of the various colors in between. It's not no longer just the candlestick in the kitchen, but it's how much that candlestick weighs, where it was in the first place, and everything in between that helps him solve a mystery. Sherlock knows more about the world than most men do. That way he knows when something isn't right. He has insight. And this is what God is showing us in verse 2 here. What he's saying is, you know, it's not taking the easy way out. It's not picking the most obvious or the easiest answer, but instead it's looking for all the nuanced ways that we can see and approach life circumstances. But just having knowledge and having insight alone does nothing. Let's look at verse 4. It says, to give prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the youth. So what is prudence? Prudence means to be meticulous and strategic when it comes to solving an issue. It requires patience. It requires a right understanding of God and what he is like and how we fit into that narrative. You see, wise people are not only going to see and understand a situation fully, but they also know how to make an outcome a reality. So why do you think Sherlock Holmes' books and TV shows are so long? I mean, obviously it's fiction, but beyond that, he's never rushing to conclusions. He's patient. He takes his time to put in the work and think out a scenario completely and to see if that scenario could possibly take place in reality. If Sherlock's goal is stopping the bad guys, well, insight for Sherlock is knowing his criminal opponents inside and out, while prudence is understanding what he has to put into motion to stop them and bring them to justice. And the same is true of God's wisdom. We have to take our time. We have to see how what we're going through or what we're facing applies to God's design for the world. How does our reality line up with God's reality? How do we take what is before us and use it to his glory and to emulate who God is and what he is like? You know, you can know where you need to go with wisdom. But true wisdom is also going to tell you how you need to get there. Luckily, we're not alone. God has a tool for that. Community is what God uses to help us get there. You see, verse 3, it says, To receive instruction in wise dealing, in righteousness, justice, and equity. The last piece of wisdom that Solomon is introducing us to here is, is uh, instruction. It's the ability to apply what you see and what you understand, the insight and the prudence, to apply it in a way that pierces and leaves change for the good. Because at the end of the day, what good is wisdom if you're keeping it all yourself? You see, a, a community that is perfectly pursuing godly wisdom together is one that is going to perfectly emulate God's goodness and his glory. And guys, this is the chief end of wisdom, to glorify God. You see, because by ourselves, we have a very narrow scope. We only bring to the table maybe one or two ways of seeing a situation at most. But 
God has given us community. It's the body that surrounds the issue and gives us 360-degree view of it. Community can come along next to us and instruct us on how we see our hearts and how we're viewing our situation and then help us to see the path we have to take from there. You know, alone, we might not be Sherlock Holmes, but God, he's using community to provide the knowledge, the insight, the prudence that we need as a collective. This is wisdom, folks. It's the sum of those four things, knowledge, insight, prudence, and instruction. You see, you can have knowledge and not be wise, but you can't be wise without knowledge. And you can have insight, but not have wisdom. But you can't have wisdom without insight. And you can be prudent without wisdom, but you're not going to be wise without prudence. And you can instruct all you want to. People do it all the time without wisdom. But you're never going to be wise without instruction. And guys, we talked about the chief end of wisdom. This is what it is. When you add up these things, what results is human flourishing. This is why we need wisdom, because it's the highway that gets us to where God has intended us to be all along. You see, way back in Genesis 1, God designed a world in which everything flourished. The world was perfect, and exactly as it should be. And creation not only existed there, but it thrived. Everything, exactly as God had made it. I mean, the plants, they were more green, more, more colorful than you and I could ever imagine. Animals, they lived together, never eating too much, never not getting enough either. The weather was always 75 and sunny. Boy, do I wish. And human relationships, they were perfect. Adam and Eve, they, they never argued about which one was right and how the other one was just getting on their nerves. It was perfect. The relationship was perfect. But the problem came in Genesis 3. It came with the fall. You see, before the fall, we were hardwired to be wise. I mean, it was natural. It came without a thought because everything emulated already what God was like, without question. But it was when Adam and Eve decided to question that, that they sinned against God. And the hardwiring that had us on that highway to human flourishing ripped out. I mean, in an instant, the world which God designed had been corrupted by sin, just like that. And unfortunately for us, when we now live in that same world, I mean, a world that pushes back against who God is and what he's like. The sin in our heart, it prohibits human flourishing on all cylinders. Guys, this is why earthly wisdom is where we so naturally find ourselves leaning to. You see, no longer in our hearts do they naturally seek godly wisdom. We no longer seek godliness and righteousness without question. No, but instead now, because of the fall, we are a people that are selfishly bent in on ourselves. We want what we want, and we obsess over how we can get it. We're a people in constant pursuit of what we think will make our hearts happy, what we think will satisfy us, give us that aha moment, or honestly, most of the time, just what feels good. So if we can't even get the right and wrong, the black and white correct, this is going to make the three quarters of life circumstances where there 
are no right or wrong answers, even more difficult. I mean, guys, the water, the water is really starting to get muddy at this point. Think about it. Which job? Which house? Which vacation? And, and even which spouse? I mean, honestly, there, there is no right or wrong answer to most of these things most of the time. You see, you can likely pick any job. You can likely pick any house any vacation, or any spouse without malintention in your heart. You don't mean, you're not trying to pick something evil. So as if it wasn't hard enough already to know what to do in these circumstances, well, now we have the sin of the world corrupting everything inside of us. But luckily, we have godly wisdom. And that's going to be what provides the discernment to know where we might get a better outcome. You see, I was, I was faced with one of these uh, decisions myself. I mentioned it uh, earlier in the snippet of my story. Uh, it was the spring of my senior year of college. I was just about to graduate in a few months, and I was, uh, thought I had kind of an open availability to go wherever, but uh, I was really came down to a decision. Do I want to take a career path and pursue weather, or do I want to go on staff with crew? That was the college ministry that I was a part of. You see, since my freshman year, I was very involved with crew. It was the ministry that the summer after my freshman year had really shown me Jesus and confronted me with the realness of the gospel in that small little burger stand in Santa Cruz, California. So after that, I decided I wanted to dedicate my college, minute, my college career to this ministry. So for three years, I had gone on two summer projects, the one in Santa Cruz and one overseas, I had went on a spring break trip to New York City with crew. I was a leader on campus, and, and I had checked off all the boxes that leaders were supposed to check. I mean, quite literally, my discipler actually had a checklist of the things that the leaders were supposed to do. So, naturally, I felt like the next step was to go on staff with crew. I mean, I did everything else. Why not go on staff with crew? I'd actually been accepted to go to New York City and I was going to live the big city life for a year or more. You know, it depends. You get the choice. So I could go to Tim Keller's church in New York. Can I get an amen? I'd be able to eat all the New York-style pizza and cheesecake my heart could hold. Can I get another amen? I'd get to hang out on college campuses and do the Lord's work. I mean, how cool is that? You see, but there was something inside of me that was holding me back. I didn't know what it was. It didn't make sense. You know, I felt terrible about it. I mean, this is the obvious next step. Why can't I decide to do it? You see, I'm very passionate, always have been, still am, about meteorology. And part of me at that time was telling me to take the career avenue because I knew that these gifts and these passions that God had given me, they weren't for no reason. You see, I just didn't want to be like everybody else that was graduating from college and going right into the workforce. I wanted to be special. I wanted to have an adventure. I wanted to be different. So I decided to take this issue and bring it before my community at the time. Uh, it was a guy named Jordan Penley. He was my discipler. He was on staff with crew. He had been for a few years. And uh, guys, this guy was wise beyond his years. He really was. I was positive that if I took this issue to him, he'd have some kind of insight. And he'd have the prudence to tell me, what was going to push me over that tipping point to get me to sign on the dotted line with crew. So I came to Jordan all humble. Jordan, dude, what do I do? You know, this seems like an impossible choice. 
So I thought he'd have the answer right off the bat. He said, he said, man, let's see what scripture has to say about it. I don't remember seeing New York City in the Bible anywhere, but <laughs> all right. So immediately off the bat, you see here Jordan was seeking wisdom that was not his own. He was seeking scripture. He took me to Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Here the lawyer had asked Jesus which commandment was the greatest commandment. Jesus responded, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. I was like, all right. He's going to tell me if I love the Lord, I'm going to do ministry. That, that's, that's his answer. Guys, Jordan had the nerve to look up from the Bible, stare me in the face, and tell me, Ash, it doesn't matter what you do. He said, if you love the Lord your God with, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, you can glorify him in whatever you decide to do. Guys, even as I think about it now, that hit me hard. You, you see, immediately it felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulders because it was no longer about me or my decision. But I also had a large bruise across my face where he just smacked me with truth. You see, in that moment, Jordan, he was calling me to something higher. Jordan was calling me to a life of flourishing. Jordan didn't care if I checked off all the boxes. Yes, he had the list because it was his job. But Jordan wanted me to see the love that God has for me and to love God in return with everything inside of me. Well, from that conviction, it really wasn't hard to see why I was so conflicted in the first place. You see, I was wanting to go to New York purely for the recognition of being a missionary. I was using godly, quote-unquote, means for my own glorification. I wanted to be special. I wanted to be different. How selfish. Because here's the thing, guys. God will have his glory with you or in spite of you. Okay, don't miss that, guys. God will have his glory with you or in spite of you. We just got done with a sermon series in Revelation, and at the end of the book, we saw that clearly. God will have his glory. Just like everything else that has been promised and come true, this has and will continue to come true as well. Hear me clearly on this. God is not waiting on the sidelines saying, oh, I hope they make the right choice. No. You see, see, God is active, and he is powerful, and he is getting his glory. Could I have glorified God in New York? Yes, of course. God, have, God could have done a lot of good work despite my selfishness, but it would have been a lot rougher on me. You see, I was blind to my selfishness, so it would have been harder for me to see my need for Jesus, and it would have been harder on my sanctification in the long run. Instead, it was God who revealed to me through Jordan Penley, through his word, what I should do. He sent me to here to this church that has grown me and shaped me, that has pushed me toward Christ in more ways than I could have ever imagined. You guys have helped me see my selfishness and has helped me see my need for Jesus at the same time so that I didn't have to stay hidden in the shadows seeking my own gain, even if it was through quote-unquote godly means. There was never a moment in that whole saga that God was sitting there crossing his fingers hoping that I'd make the right choice and end up here with you guys. 
this job, it actually fell in my lap. I didn't even apply for it. I, I filled out the application after I got the job just so they'd have my information. True. I didn't even find this church for myself either. It was not so randomly the first one that Jordan sent me when he heard that I was moving. So I said, eh, I'll give it a shot. Here we are. You see, you see, these things happen because God knows what he's doing. God never does things that are out of the character of God. In his sovereignty, he does anything and everything with intentionality for his glory and for our ultimate good, with us or in spite of us. You see, wisdom is just what we use to help us stay with God and his grace that then allows us to flourish. God is assuring us of this in verse 32 and 33. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. What happens, what happens when you lose a job? How do you respond to that? Or what happens when you, you find out someone that you trusted has stabbed you in the back and they've been using you the whole time? What does your gut instinctively do in that moment? Or if you've ever lost someone that's close to you, where do you turn? What Solomon is saying here is that these verses, they don't mean that life is going to be easy peasy. Nowhere here does it say that life will be without disaster. No. What does it say? Without dread of disaster. Because losing a job or losing someone you love, those things are hard. Those things are very hard. And God, he's not trying to take away from that in this moment. But what he's saying is he's adding to it because when we have wisdom, we have the insight into who God is, into what he is like, and then we have the prudence to find rest in that foundation. Guys, when I, when I said that we were going to talk about what wisdom is for, this is it. You see, the, the beauty of wisdom is that when we rest in God's truth, we're not only taking steps towards the way things are meant to be for ourselves, but also for the world around us. Because wisdom is not only net gain, there's not only gain for ourselves, but it's net gain for society. Because just like it said in verse three, it executes on what is right, what is just, and what is fair. God wants us to be wise because he wants us to direct those around us toward truth and righteousness. God wants us to glorify him in all we do. And that comes from being wise in what we are doing. But that's the problem. You see, it's hard to live in a world that is completely corrupted by sin and still be wise. If everything inside of us is screaming to not choose godliness, how many times are we actually choosing it? So, if we're not being wise, then what are we? Well, thankfully, Solomon doesn't mince words when it comes to that question. If you are not wise, you are a fool. So what is a fool? Well, Tim Keller defines it as someone who is out of touch with reality but should know better. 
So the Proverbs are actually going to address two different kinds of fools for us. The first we see is a simple fool. Verse 4, to give prudence to the simple. This is described as a person who is so uninformed and so lost that they can't distinguish between what is good and bad. Where are you finding your identity? You see, the, the simple fool can't define their identity, so they look for their identity in earthly things, in their job, in their spouse, in their kids. Where are you hoping to find your approval? Is it in your boss, in your spouse, in raising obedient children? Good luck. What about when change comes into your life? Does that terrify you? You see, a simple fool is so wishy-washy with the tides of life that they never anchor down. They are constantly floating to the next greatest thing. You see, sin causes the simple fool to be much too easily swayed by what the world wants. So they are constantly in limbo and dread things might go wrong. What about when it comes to our community and mission? What happens to you when life and community and relationship gets tough? When someone in your MC hurts you or you're just fed up with them, how do you respond to that? What about when church doesn't suit your preferences? The music's too loud. Service doesn't go how you like. You see, the simple Christian is going to abandon community and mission as soon as it no longer becomes fun or suits them. You see, when life gets messy, they're going to get out as fast as they can, or at least they're going to try to avoid addressing it. They don't want the confrontation. They don't want it to get any messier than it already is. And the second fool that Solomon wants to address is the prideful fool. This is the opposite of that. This is the person who is so self-bent, so self-focused that they refuse to be swayed, changed, or corrected. My grandpa, my papa would say, they're stubborn as mules. How do you respond when someone offers advice? Do you reject it for your own idea of what's right? The prideful fool does. How often do you rush to correct those around you when you think they're wrong? Or when life presents a problem, do you rush headlong into it knowing you already have the right answer and you can solve it anyway? Have you found yourself at your wit's end time and time again running into a brick wall over and over trying to solve something that's seemingly impossible? What about with, with church life and your missional community? Are you the first person to speak up when someone asks a question? If someone's struggling with something, are you telling them how they should fix it before they can even take a breath? You see, the prideful fool refuses to let anyone else offer opinions in missional community, but instead believes their answers are the right ones. They've already got it covered. Nobody else needs to talk. What about when someone comes to you about a sin that they see in your life? You bite back? Do the walls go up instantly and you take a staunch defense of your actions? Here's why. You see, when the prideful fool is confronted with their sin, they're obstinate and they refuse to be corrected and they refuse to repent. Now, guys, there's no doubt that 
even as I went through that list, you caught yourself thinking about people that you know that fit those categories. Guys, that's the sin in our hearts. It makes us want to point the fingers and say, oh yeah, they're like that. But every single one of us embodies some type of foolishness, if not both. (laughs) So what would it look like to truly be wise, to not be a fool, to be sophisticated yet humble, to bend enough but not too much, to take instruction with grace and correction with gentleness? Well, the Gospels have something to say about that. You see, the gospel in 1 Corinthians 3.18 says, let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. The gospel tells us that true wisdom is foolishness for Christ. You see, a fool for God doesn't swing their mood based on what people think of them that week, but they also don't count out people's opinions completely. A fool for God finds their worth in the gospel, and they don't have to look for things on the earth or within themselves. A fool for God is going to be humble enough to say they don't know everything, but also they don't give way to every argument that comes in their direction. A fool for God is the antithesis of everything that makes up a simple or a prideful fool. And guys, Someone who looks like this is going to look like a complete fool to the rest of the world. The world will see God's fool as someone who is wasting their life completely. Because earthly wisdom, it said not to get too close to people, because you can get hurt. But a fool for God is going to tell us, no, I'm going to be radically vulnerable because we know that community is how God has designed us to live. Earthly wisdom says you need to work hard and you need to save all your money so that you can be successful in life. But God's fool knows that they have success in Christ alone, and therefore they can give away their resources generously. Earthly wisdom says to take pride in who you are and never yield that to anyone. But a fool for God knows that he will walk in humble obedience to who Christ has called them to be. Earthly wisdom says you need to worry about you and yours. But a Christian foolishness says we have a world out there that is hurting. We have a world out there, no matter how much it costs, it's worth it to be on mission and to give ourselves over to the plan that God has for the world. This is such a high calling. I mean, it seems impossible to succeed. The sin in our hearts has made it so we couldn't. That's the thing. This is exactly why we needed Jesus. He succeeded on our behalf where we failed to be wise. A man of infinite power and righteousness chose to give up all of that so that he could die for those who mocked him. Guys, this is foolish. The world doesn't understand this because logically it makes no sense. You see, Peter, he didn't understand it either. At the climax of the gospel, Peter urged Jesus not to go to the cross. Peter said, look, man, there's a better way to go about this whole redemption thing. You see, crosses, they don't generally have a very good track record. But how did Jesus respond to him? He said, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Did you catch that? 
Jesus literally just called one of his best disciples Satan. Peter, Peter just thought he was being helpful, you know? He just thought he had the right answer. But the problem is that he was looking to earthly wisdom instead of looking to the larger narrative that Jesus came to write in the first place. Because why would Jesus literally give up everything so that he could die for those who spit on him? Why would Christ yield his crown for a world that is full of literal fools? Why would God bankrupt heaven to purchase something that couldn't possibly have that much value? Christ chose to obey God anyways because he was wise enough to see that it was part of God's grand design for his glory and for our ultimate good. You see, Christ took what was worthless in the world and ascribed to it worth beyond value. This is where we get the righteousness, justice, and equity piece of the puzzle that we saw in verse three. Jesus' death purchased our ability to be in right standing with God. His sacrifice is what is continually bringing us back into relationship with God as well. Jesus set in motion the path to how things ought to be. Just like Adam and Eve in an instant ripped out the hardwiring that allowed us to be wise, Jesus' sacrifice gave us access once again to that highway of human flourishing that is wisdom. Guys, this is the only way to be a godly fool. This is the only way that we will ever thrive on this earth again. We have to believe the gospel and understand the wisdom of God in Christ and what he did on our behalf. God, we thank you for Christ who died so that we could once again have access to wisdom. We thank you that Jesus chose not to come into this world to be a fool for himself, but to be a fool for you, that he might set us back on that path to human flourishing. We pray, God, now that you are empowering us to find wisdom in Christ, and you are directing our steps as we pursue what is right, what is just, and what is fair in this world for your glory alone. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.